0: Welcome. You're listening to a Mr. Thrive Media Production.
1: Today's interview is a call all the way from Chicago, but it's also from a place that is special in my heart. Today's guest is Amanda Friedlander. She's not just the guest of this podcast, she's not just a blog writer, but she's also a dear friend of mine who I've really come to admire for her vulnerability and honesty with me as a professional. She has been there for me and ultimately has opened up the door from that professional level to that friendship level. So having her on this podcast really is kind of a milestone for the show and I really think you guys are gonna enjoy this interview talking about the concept of radical transparency. I've always believed that being vulnerable brings out the best in people because that level of discomfort always opens up new possibilities. The most important type of sentence that you can create is a question and so with that my only question to you is what is wrong with being transparent in any setting i want to thank everyone who came to our last networking event the halloween networking party was spooky great and it was awesome to have you there shout out to carmen vincent for her documentary teacher of patience and also shout out to Lori lamson for winning our costume competition on november 30th at 6 p.m pacific daytime we are not having a networking party But we are having our Therapeutic Throwback Tuesday event. This special event is going to be one of inclusivity and support, allowing people to come and perform and present whatever craft they would like. Be sure to register. The link will be in the description of this episode. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You have stumbled upon the Mr. Thrive Podcast, where together we discover emerging artists,
2: Writer, visionary, Amanda Friedlander.
1: Amanda, welcome to the show. I'm blessed to have you here today.
2: I have never been more excited about anything in my life.
1: That's not true. Don't lie no, to me. No, it's
2: not, but I'm, it's up there.
1: <laughs> okay, well, good. Oh, well, I'm flattered. I'll, I'll take that as a real answer. Um, <laughs> you are calling from Chicago today. This is going to be mm-hmm. a, a really fun interview because you and I have a rapport. We work together. But we 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 have a certain conversation that we're going to talk today a lot about, which is your concept of radical transparency, and I'm really excited to explore that. But before we get into that, we need to loosen up. We need to get our joints <laughs> lubricated. We're gonna warm up with our season three trivia warm up. You feeling good about it?
2: Uh, I have yes, yes, okay. I am. <laughs> good,
1: good, 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 awesome. So you're from Chicago. I love Chicago. I looked up trivia on you guessed it seattle just kidding chicago (laughs) i looked up trivia on chicago and we're gonna see uh how in depth uh you really know about chicago um how much do you love chicago i'm curious
2: you know i have um never appreciated chicago more than when i lived in los angeles so let's just say that (laughs) okay
1: sounds good i'm curious why is that
2: you know, um, it really comes down to the people. In no disrespect to y'all, but <laughs> Los Angeles, the people there are all out for themselves. And it's a very kind of, you know, self-centered atmosphere. Everyone's there to live their dreams and to make that happen. But Chicago has sort of like a grit to it. There's a working class focus and a blue collar focus, a huge melting pot of cultures And um, there's just a different energy there about uh, being there for one another and supporting one another. And I just I love it so much. You can't find it nearly anywhere else.
1: Well, two things. I am offended, but that's also very noble. And I respect (laughs) that. Um, All right. Well, here we go. Question one. From which tower can you see the four neighboring states of Illinois at the same time? Is it A, Commerce Court West, B, First Bank Tower, C, John Hancock, or D, Willis Tower?
2: So it's got to be between Willis and John Hancock. I was just at the John Hancock and I couldn't see four different states. So I, I'm gonna say Willis Tower.
1: Correct, and the other two are not in the state of Illinois at all. So I
2: had never heard of those. <laughs> yeah, th- those
1: are not in the state of Illinois. So I was just seeing it. How well you really knew there. That. that was great. You got <laughs> it. Good job. Question two: Which art utility was invented in Chicago? Was it a spray paint, b stencils, c vanity lights, or d? canvas paper
2: what <laughs> um okay uh what what was the second option stencils stencils um geez that's tough well we're not a big paper or like textile manufacturing area okay um so i'm gonna have to go with spray paint
1: wow you nailed it. good job Good job! Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Chicago is the home of graffiti. Good job! Oh my god!
2: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. Well, you're killing this so far. Let's see if we can get three for three. Okay. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Question three: Which feature makes the Chicago River unique? Is it a? It's the most polluted in the country. B. It's the only river that can that cannot freeze. C. It runs backwards.
2: It runs backwards.
1: Do I even like say the last one?
2: Yeah, well, let me hear your option just so I can have it on record.
1: It's a saltwater river. D. It's
2: not. It definitely freezes, uh, and it runs backwards. <laughs> 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 Give me a harder one.
1: Okay, it runs backwards. It goes no. instead of from... The mainland to the ocean, it goes backwards, which is yes. weird.
2: You tried.
1: I tried. I thought I could throw a curveball. Maybe. There's like
2: a bunch of bodies at the bottom, too. That could have been a good option.
1: Hmm. I mean, but that's a given. That's with any yeah. river. And there you could know be it. one
2: more if you play your cards right.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll... <laughs> She just threatened me on a recorded broadcast. Okay, there's gotta be. <laughs> You're entering law school soon, so you got to know there's something illegal about that. I don't know. Well, Amanda, I- I'm I'm again. Once I said once again, I I'm gonna say that I'm bl- I'm blessed to have you here today. Um, you want to talk about radical transparency? L- what is that? What does that even mean?
2: Yeah. So it's it's a concept. I. I- Frankly, I cannot remember where I read it. I'm fairly certain it was something in a Glennon Doyle Melton book. Um, but radical transparency is the practice of expressing and communicating in a way that is free from the barriers of not necessarily social norms, but certainly expectations. Um, The idea that we are all supposed to be presenting ourselves in a certain way that is uh, acceptable and digestible for other people. You know, a lot of people are uncomfortable with tears, for example. They don't like when someone cries in front of them. Um, They don't like the reality of burnout being presented to them. Um, it's it's uncomfortable like seeing other people in pain and suffering and especially when it's the type of pain and suffering that isn't quote unquote beautiful or glamorized Um, for example there's a, a common conception that when people are depressed when they have clinical depression they don't eat and they sit in a dark room and cry and just kind of like Don't want to hang out with their friends or or anything like that. But the reality of depression is, it's not quite as simple as that. There's you know binge eating, there's self destruction, um, there's pulling out your hair, uh, not brushing your teeth for weeks, things like that. And radical transparency, the practice aims to shed a light on the reality of of those situations it's also the idea the way that i practice it in my writing is um talking a lot about the things that people aren't talking about so much um whether that's hey like can we all just draw attention to the fact for example right now we're 18 months plus into the pandemic um things still suck you know there's like rumors that people are going to be coming back into the office and kids are back in schools but guess what our teachers are burned out kids are you know my significant other he has a, a covid case with kids every single day there's been a new case or more um people don't know what to do right now people are panicking they're losing their little minds and um it's if we don't shed light on the ugly parts of what's happening in the world and instead we churn out content like that ridiculous uh imagine cover by all those celebrities then we're we're essentially you know painting white paint over a giant blood stain on the wall and it's a shame and we're doing ourselves and our communities a huge disservice
1: right right and in the the imagine cover when with the celebrities i think it was certainly heartwarming when it came out like oh i i guess thank you mark ruffalo for putting a little effort into a song right. <laughs> but it and and it was it was a nice thought you know i think for the visceral part of it but it was a band-aid on an open wound it was you know it's it's not gonna really do any help it's it's not really they're not really doing anything When they very clearly have the ability to be authentic, to provide real resources and actually contribute. So I, I I get that completely.
2: Right. It's, you know, COVID and, and the pandemic and the effect it's had on people. Isn't just people are sick and tired of being in their homes. People are losing their livelihoods. I mean, they're being evicted from their homes. They can't pay their bills. Their children are suffering. Their pets are suffering. Can we also talk about the fact that now that people are going back into their offices, shelters are completely full and they're putting down animals, thousands of animals every single day because people are They adopted them during the pandemic and are giving them up now. Like these are conversations that need to be had. And instead, what we're doing is, you know, watching Gal Gadot poorly sing. (laughs) Imagine. I mean, it's just there are better solutions um, and we can't discover them unless we have the difficult conversations and do it in a non-judgmental, non-pain Olympics type of way. And what I mean by that is being like, oh, well, you know, you might have been evicted from your home, but, you know, I am now living in my car or I'm living on the streets or I have COVID and and now I'm having like heart palpitations or I have serious lung damage. You know, we don't have to compete with each other about who's suffering the most. We just have to communicate how we're feeling and what we're going through. And that's how we discover solutions and move forward.
1: So let me approach this from a left-brained perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I'm very right-brained, right? So we have the difficult conversation. You put out the content that really addresses the issue in an authentic way, in a way that many will view as controversial and abrasive and others will embrace because it speaks for them. What happens then? What happens next?
2: You know, uh... Part of it is just awareness. Um, when people are aware of something, it's more likely that they're going to be moved to enact change. And these days, the best way to do that is donations, you know, contributing to help funds, relief funds, Um Or offering products and services to people in need. You know, if it's attorneys for someone who's trying to win their home back, or maybe it's just feminine hygiene products, or that's kind of an outdated term, but hygiene products in in general um, for like vagina havers who no longer have access to those, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then part of it is getting it in front of the right people. The more we share these stories, the more people are likely to see them who have deep pockets and and have the resources available to contribute to uh, funds for distributing vaccines more evenly or outreach in communities that have low vaccine rates, for example. And again, this is all just centered around the topic of the pandemic because that's what we're living through. But this could apply to anything, really. Any kind of major social change that's needed. but you know, I think you're not you're not wrong for questioning it from a quote unquote left brain perspective. I do think you know there's a huge emphasis on what is the data telling us like we have all these sad stories everywhere, but what exactly needs to be done? How can we get boots on the ground and, and hands first and really get things moving? But the reality is that data, and the analysis and the numbers, none of that means anything if we're not communicating it effectively. And what I try to do and what I encourage storytellers like myself to do is be able to understand the data in such a way that you can uh, sort of publish it in an aesthetically and mentally digestible way we need creators to be able to access the more analytical part of their brains and translate that into a way that people can really understand. The reality is not a lot of people have the skills to analyze data and make an informed decision based on it. I mean, we clearly, that's the case right now. So people who are able to, let me back up a little bit. When, People see vaccine statistics or COVID positivity rates. A lot of them don't really know what it means. Um, You just see percentages and numbers. But if you go on something like the Citizen app, for example, which is incredibly problematic, and we don't have to get into that right now, but... um, they have like a chart and they have an active moving living chart where they show the ups and downs of the rates and everything and it's on an interface that i would argue is pretty user friendly now that was designed by a designer it was designed by someone who has a background in website or app design someone a graphic designer was probably involved in it a creative director um And those people took the data, took the information they were given and presented it in a way that the general population could most likely understand or at least, you know, understand the surface level part of it. Right. And I think we tend to perceive creators, graphic designers, creative directors, art directors as kind of like a soft sciences type skill. You know, they're often housed under schools of communication or humanities. And we look down upon that a little bit, like that's not a real degree. How is that going to get you anywhere? Or maybe you'll you'll land in an ad agency for a few years and then get burned out. But without those jobs, without those roles being filled, you would just have piles and piles of data and no one to interpret it and present it in a way that the the lowest possible IQ could possibly understand and at the end of the day what they always tell us is you are trying to communicate with the lowest IQ possible the the dumbest person in the whole world right. has to be on un- has to be able to understand your design in order for it to be effective
1: a, yeah I, I wholeheartedly get that the presentation it becomes a language of the Masses, and if it's not the masses, then the common person, for lack of a better term, right. uh, I, I get that wholeheartedly, and and there is an issue with how these important information, the, the the important information that we need, is portrayed because there's tons of of misinformation in the age of information that is kind of mud, mudding up the waters and it's it's really diluting what we're able to consume in many ways in my in my own head i almost nicknamed this time the age of over information Mm -hmm. uh because (laughs) uh, you got to know where to get the accurate sources and then on top of that uh you know how to even weigh if it's uh if it's a legitimate source to begin with uh which is where we get all these (laughs) vaccine deniers and covid deniers and it's Absolutely ridiculous, not to mention basically QAnon supporters who are just feed off of misinformation and falsehoods like that. Um, What I would say, though, is that I think one of my favorite examples of kind of what you're describing, like a a well-presented, great, uh, factual presentation that anyone can understand. There's a YouTube channel called Kurzgestat. And that I it, love
2: that. Yeah.
1: Love yeah. Uh, Kurz means in a nutshell in German for those who do not who, who are listening to this podcast. Um, you guys can also just type in, in a nutshell uh, on YouTube uh, and they have fantastic videos that are animated that are incredibly fact checked that talk about a wide range of things. They've covered a few political concepts like uh, there, there was an interesting video they made like does war even exist anymore? Which is like, well, of course it does. But they have a very interesting answer to that. They also had a really interesting video that they eventually took down on addiction. And they took it down because they were holding themselves accountable to new research that came up and also some other research from the past that they overlooked. And they were really only illustrating um, you know, certain aspects of it and they were being honest to themselves, which I highly respect. Uh, but they had a really great uh, video on addiction. The, they've had some videos on, on COVID-19. They, they've explained it really well. They've had videos on uh, how the immune system works and mm-hmm. how uh, vaccines in general work. And it's absolutely, I think, imperative to kind of follow similar models to how, Intense they are about their studies because they will show where their sources come from and they, they even tell you at the end of their videos That they spend hours and hours and hours on these concepts I'm such a big fan that I ended up buying a poster to have in my room because I really <laughs> do Appreciate and respect how much work they've put into what they do and they and they right. do digress into some fun concepts so like if you go like down to the science fiction rabbit hole of kurskustat they even have uh, all these great videos of um, how to destroy the world using X, right? So one of them was <laughs> like, if we put a million TNTs on Earth, what would happen? And it was like, well, that's a terrible idea. But they had a whole entire video about how that could actually cause some incredible damage. Um, what happens if the Earth collided with the sun? Uh, what happens if the Earth got consumed by a black hole? And so they have these oh, really fun. Crossed. Uh, dark humor uh, ways of approaching it. So it's a really good YouTube channel. Highly recommend it. You got to check it out.
2: The beauty of that is it's presented in a way that is accessible to anyone. It's accessible to families, people of all ages. Um, and the fact that it is backed up with data, they do show their sources, But let's be honest, most people watching these videos aren't going to then go through and check every single one of their sources. But because they're transparent about where they get their data from, it adds a layer of credibility to it. And I think the other thing that it really promotes is the ability to call through and properly vet your research. And one of the reasons we do have so much misinformation out there is because people aren't paying attention or, or they're ignoring the skill, the ever important skill of analyzing data or, excuse me, analyzing research and determining whether it's a credible source. This this is a skill that they sort of taught us in middle school. I'm sure you remember they were like, don't use Wikipedia because anyone can contribute. That was back then. Wikipedia these days is trust me as someone who's been permanently banned from Wikipedia it's really hard to contribute to it unless you you know what you're talking about wait
1: wait 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 how did you get permanently <laughs> banned from Wikipedia what did you put on Wikipedia
2: um it's kind of a frustrating story um a few this is really bad i hope this doesn't get out to the wrong person but a few years back i worked for 8 days at a healthcare administration company that shall remain nameless. And my boss um, had, he was really frustrated that the company didn't have a Wikipedia page because our biggest competitor did. And our biggest competitor had a page because they were involved in like a lot of controversy. So it was newsworthy. It was important and it was highly documented. But he said, I really want our company to have a Wiki page. So I said, i I can create one, but I'm pretty sure the editors are going to take it down because there's nothing newsworthy about it. There's nothing important to public policy or the public eye about this company. Um, But he insisted, so I did. And it got taken down like less than 24 hours later. Um, I created a new account and posted it again. Once again, it was removed 24 hours later. I did it a third time from a third count, and then I got an email that said, you have been permanently banned (laughs) from Wikipedia because we can tell you're using different accounts to try to post about this company. So any future accounts you create will be removed, like your content cannot be. Damn. I can no longer contribute to Wikipedia. So that just goes to show it's a safe place. (laughs) Right,
1: right. They take they take it very seriously. You couldn't just gloss over that without me asking questions, okay? (laughs) This is a podcast. I gotta I gotta challenge you a little bit, okay? Hey folks, we're gonna take a quick break, and before we do that, I wanna emphasize the fact that because of this pandemic, Mr. Thrive Media realized that we need to do a better job at supporting small business wherever we can. So enjoy. Hey, Thrivers, do you hear a certain difference in quality? That's because this podcast quality is made possible by Squadcast. Virtual recordings have become easier than ever with Squadcast's studio-quality SaaS remote recording platform. This cloud-based technology secures your files and minimizes post-production for all podcast producers. And I should know because I am one. Heighten the experience of your podcast by clicking the link in the show notes below.
0: This podcast is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Mr. Thrive Media builds communities through its content marketing and networking events. During this pandemic, our dedicated team commits to the value of connection by producing podcast content while extending a helping hand towards artists and entertainment professionals. Mr. Thrive Media puts its values first by supporting small businesses and empowering emerging artists. For more information, visit www.mrthrive.com. That's mrthrive.com.
2: I did end up quitting, like I said, eight days into that job, uh, and I have never looked back. But I am still a little bit salty about the consequence.
1: Well, they're they're idiots, to be quite frank. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally shit talk people on this podcast, but because it's an anonymous figure that might not even exist, right? That that wasn't a good approach. Um, but that is funny. That is a really good story. <laughs>
2: But my point, my point is that, um, you know, Wikipedia used to be perceived as something that has zero credibility. But now if you go down, you can look at all their resources and their sources of information and you can learn or you should have learned by now if you went to any school um, how to vet those sources, how to identify if it's a government news source or if it's it says .gov, but it's actually a QAnon Uh, sponsored source you know you look for certain types of language certain types of contributors Um, if a claim is being made you see (coughs) excuse me if a claim is being made you see if it's being backed up by peer-reviewed science and I say peer-reviewed with emphasis on it um, because you can't just publish a paper for example the the quote-unquote pseudoscientist who published the study about how vaccines cause autism, that was not peer reviewed and it was heavily debunked. Um, But because the one source exists out there amongst thousands and thousands that say otherwise, people still cite it. So being able to see, you know, that source and then go out and find thousands of sources that say the complete opposite of what is being claimed you should have the skills to determine that what you're seeing is just plainly not accurate. Right. And on, while we're on that topic, if you would prefer a dead child over an autistic one, you are a bad person. And that is all I will say on that.
1: Correct. My God. I, I do not understand the logic of the, those people do not deserve to be parents to begin with.
2: Right. If and and by prepared- the way, vaccines do not cause autism. Right. They don't. But my point stands you know that's the argument that they're making is that being autistic is somehow worse than your your infant child suffering and dying from a completely preventable illness and fucking, that's just
1: yeah it's fucking stupid honestly I, and and i'm if 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 you are on the spectrum and you've ever been faced with that I'm so sorry that if if that's ever happened to you,
2: I can't imagine someone saying. I can't imagine that. Yeah. you know, there's tons of autistic, millions. I don't know the statistic. Don't quote me, but there's millions of people on the autism spectrum. We're finding more and more that it is a spectrum, and there's people who lie on all sorts of planes on it. Um, and can you imagine being someone with autism or on uh, having autism spectrum disorder and hearing? women not just women tons of people say you are worse than a dead child your life does not matter because you shouldn't exist you're a consequence of vaccines and i would prefer you to be dead rather than have autism spectrum disorder despite most the vast majority of these people with autism spectrum disorder living perfectly functional great productive lives
1: yeah yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Well, f- well, first of all, it's it's been widely speculated uh, that people like Elon Musk are mm-hmm. on the spectrum, right? And he's, right. you know, no big deal, right? Um, <laughs> but then uh, I want to I wanna give a shout out to someone I know personally that's been on this podcast. Her name is uh, Dana St. Amand, and she is really incredible. And she actually only recently, as an adult, was diagnosed uh, on the spectrum. Oh, wow. Um, you know, part of my job on this podcast is to, you know, find out what people will be famous for, asking them that question before they become known, become they before they really strike gold with their with their capabilities and find success. Dana today is TikTok viral and selling merch and really building a business for herself because she is a transgender blacksmith with the slogan, be gay, make swords. And Hell
2: yeah. it's
1: really fucking awesome. I absolutely adore her. I oh, Whenever she posts new stuff, first of all, someone who loves DIY videos, I love watching her actually make the blades. That's really mm-hmm. cool. But then just seeing her succeed and be her genuine self and really just grow and thrive and and, and just do what she does. I am so inspired by that. She is an inspiration every day. And, um she's faced a ton of adversity as well through her life. And she is so strong, and I am beautiful, and i I can't get over it. I really cannot. And, um, yeah, and a tr- that's what
2: I'm saying. I yeah. mean authenticity is is attractive to us. We love creators who show their authentic selves and show their passions without having to apologize for it. Yeah, it's what we crave. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand that, the things that get the most likes on Instagram or, or get the most reads on like Cosmo or BuzzFeed are, are surface level things like here's a really pretty picture of me with my skin filtered out and, you know, my waist all tiny and whatever. I I mean, I post stuff like that, too. Like, I'm not going to be inauthentic about it. But but the stories that resonate With the most people and the stories that are the most meaningful to us, the stuff that goes beyond that surface level uh, validation seeking type of, of thing is the stories that aren't as glamorous, you know, being transgender is really hard, and it can get you killed to this day. To this day, being transgender is a death sentence in some areas. And I've never met her, but she sounds awesome. And not only the fact that she's out publicly is, uh, public and vocal about autism and is doing her, her damn thing with the swords. That's freaking amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Right. And that's what we need more of. We need more people who, if they're in a safe space to do so, are Uh, willing to be vocal about their struggles and their lives and their wins too we should be celebrating the the good stuff too right and that's again what radical transparency is about show me your true authentic self so that we can normalize it we can show each other you don't have to hide who you are you don't have to hide your struggle because if you don't hide it if you're open about it we can help you we can't help you if we can't see you right that's really what it comes down to
1: and also, I'd like to say that as someone who Zoe is always challenging himself to be authentic in any form of medium, um, it is incredibly difficult to be authentic all the time. We get it. Like Amanda just said herself, that like she she's not always posting uh, flawed photos of herself, and she's taking extra time to make herself look great, even though she already does look great. You know, <laughs> she, you know, I, I would. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about uh, have these difficult conversations, it's difficult to be uh, authentic 100 percent of the time. You shouldn't have to be that, you know, you're allowed to let loose and to just post for glamour or not even just post, but to have conversations that are meaningless, even, you know, Um, like
2: I love reality TV. I watch way too much of it. Like Bridezilla's is like my favorite show, and that is the most problematic show of all time. And I love reading Cosmo and I love posting thirst traps and that's fine.
1: <laughs> Man, when you said Bridezilla just now, I'm sorry. My my respect for you went from here and it <laughs> just plummeted. Oh my to god. You
2: can't see Chaz just dropped his hand like forty-five levels, which <sighs> I understand. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that that
1: comment in itself is not recoverable from
2: (laughs) oh but it's so good we can just wrap this up
1: right we can can (laughs) get in the podcast it may not even air we'll see
2: like the show naked and afraid when i was in the hospital is the only thing i watched that whole show is just naked people dealing with producer sponsored drama in the middle of the woods oh okay but i'm actually about
1: that. that i'll say naked and afraid is pretty lit i also loved uh the snl uh spoof that they did with peter dinklage and uh i forgot it was peter dinklage and the uh the the other woman uh uh that that <laughs> it was wow. the two of them on naked and afraid together and that was an episode my god check
0: out. that was a skit <laughs>
1: um that was crazy that was awesome <laughs> Um, I, I, do have a question though. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, I think we've, we've kind of glossed over talking about radical transparency from, you know, an intellectual level. And then we, we transitioned into a personal level, but I, I just want to really make sure that we have the distinctions laid out for the audience, for those who are listening. How do you practice it on a personal level? How do you practice it on an intellectual level?
2: Mm-hmm. So for me, on a personal level, it starts with me as a person and being honest with myself um, and recognizing. So I don't know if you've talked about spoon theory on this podcast yet. No, no. OK, so I'd like to take a sec to talk about that. Let's talk that's about all it. All right. Yeah. So spoon theory, I I should have looked up who invented it. I'm, I'm sure we'll put it in like the episode notes or something because I can't take credit for it. Um, But the idea behind it is that people with chronic illnesses, uh, mental illnesses, physical, whatever, or any kind of disability, um, start the day with like a bag of spoons and you have absolutely no idea how many spoons are in the bag. You just know that you have the bag. And every day with every task that you do, it costs a certain amount of spoons, something like um, getting out of bed and let's say petting your cat or or just saying hi to your dog or, or saying hi to anyone, maybe even checking your phone, could be like one or two spoons. For some people, brushing your teeth, brushing your hair, taking a shower can be like five spoons. It all depends on the person. And at a certain point during the day, you will run out of spoons. Your bag will be empty. And that is when you just can't Do anything anymore. That is when self-care kicks in and you need to either go back to bed or or engage in some kind of restoration-focused activity. And for me, as someone with a chronic illness and with mental illnesses, my my bag of spoons differs every single day. And when I realize I've run out of spoons, I have to be honest with myself. I have the tendency to push myself um, in almost like in a punitive way where like I won't let myself eat until I've finished every little bit of my homework or until I have finished a blog, something like that. Or I won't let myself even get changed out of my dirty clothes until I have finished a certain task. And again, I'm being I know that's kind of gross. But again, with radical transparency, that's the reality of how my OCD manifests itself. And so being honest with myself and with the people around me like with my significant other like i'm sorry i have to go to bed at like 8:45 tonight because i just i can't do anything else today. I even speaking to you, I love you more than anything, but speaking to you even right now, I just can't. my brain can't do it. or communicating with my friends or even with you, Chaz, you know, I can't get the blog out to you today. I literally have nothing left in me. I just can't do it. And I'm very blessed that you've always been super kind and understanding about it. You've never made me feel bad about it. Chaz is the best. But that's just one example. And then, on a on a, you know, community level, uh, I try to promote this idea of radical transparency in the office or in the classroom, like opening up, for example, there's I'm in a law school discord for my school and for my specific class and cohort, et cetera. And I requested that, you know, they make spaces for people. Um, it was like a mental health chat in the discord. Let's create spaces for people to be honest with each other about how we're feeling and ask for help. Let's create spaces within the office where there's like some kind of anonymous tip line or or some kind of open line of communication for uh, professionals and employees to notify if they're struggling. Um, fortunately, my current job is not all that stressful most of the time. But in my previous job at an agency where every single day was absolute hell and it was, you know, something 16, 18 hour days, seven days a week, 365, you know, having a space in the office where we could say, you know what, I don't want to talk about it, but I need 20 minutes to just go for a walk or sit in my car and cry for a little bit that is helpful. And if I didn't ask for it, it wouldn't happen. If I didn't say, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one struggling right now, we need to have some kind of procedure in place for people who need to ask for help but don't know how, then nothing would happen, nothing would change. And I understand that there are certain... Um, Areas where the power imbalance is such that people don't necessarily feel comfortable asking to open a space like that. People maybe don't feel, for example, if, if someone is transgender and wants to ask others to use their preferred pronouns, but they're not sure that HR would respect it or their coworkers would respect it, you know, how how do we create an opportunity for them to live their true authentic selves without alienating them without hr then being like someone asked for a way to say their pronouns and and here's like a tool lol if you really want to no like we need to normalize this we need to normalize open lines of communication so that we can help each other and support each other and it's not just a revolving door of burnt out employees or burnt out students and i do think we're starting to see a change there we are starting to see more wellness spaces we are starting to see more like departments within hr dedicated to employee like identity which is fantastic in in my school specifically they did ask us to declare our pronouns and to Anonymous, anonymously notify our professors if they're addressing us in a way that is not consistent with how we prefer to be addressed. And I just, I think that's absolutely fantastic. We need to see more of that. So that's that's a very small scale way of how I'm trying to promote it in the the broader community.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And something that occurred to me as you were speaking is that with radical transparency, there's not just the potential to do what is best for yourself and to, uh, you know, be therapeutic, which is rightfully selfish. Therapy is rightfully selfish, right? Right. Um, But it's also a chance to even stand up as a leader, to speak to someone of authority and use radical transparency to help an employer or any former leader truly understand uh, the struggle you're explaining. You know, one thing, one concept I've come to grasp with, this year is the the statement presented is never the true issue Mm -hmm. you know um someone says i need to go to the bathroom that's not the issue you don't need to go to the bathroom the ant the the issue is you need to pee or poop (laughs) okay very weird example right um here's another example right um Someone might say, uh, I need a vacation, right? That's not the issue. No. The issue is I am mentally tired or I run out of spoons and I feel depressed and I need a change of scenery. And these weeks are flying by to the point where they don't matter anymore. And I don't really feel like anything exciting is happening in my life. And I need to remember why life is worth living. And that's okay. what vacations are for. So, so that is, that is very much so is, you know, when you're able to transparently in a radical way, put yourself out there and do what is best for you as you deserve it. And once you communicate that clearly, people will be a lot more open, I think, to accepting what you are saying. And that is just mm-hmm. a healthy way of putting out your communication. And by the way, if it's not accepted, at least you got the word out there. At least they now know, and there's awareness of it. I think that's really the moral of the story. To kind of switch gears a little bit, Amanda, I'd like to talk about mm-hmm. you as uh, an artist, specifically as a writer. Yeah. Um, you are an incredibly talented writer. How did Thank you come you. to discover writing?
2: Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. I it's I've been writing since I was able to write my name. Um. I didn't find out until well into my childhood that my dad was a writer too, is a writer. He's, he's still kicking. Um, he did poetry in high school and he was also really into journalism for a while. Um, I think he still does a good amount of, of writing but more like on a professional level and I have no idea what it's about because I can't be bothered to read it because uh, it's about like contracts and shit and I don't really care <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I, I definitely got my, my writing creativity gene from him and I actually you can't see but my apartment has this giant bookshelf and it's filled literally to the brim with hundreds of notebooks just filled um I don't remember the first story I ever wrote, but I do remember like in elementary school, this is super embarrassing. I've never, I don't think I've ever told anyone this. Um. So congrats. But I wrote, like fan fiction about my own class and <laughs> then would pass it around the next day in the class <laughs> so it would be like and I, I wasn't I was like in what second grade so I wasn't smart enough to hide it but like it would be fan fiction about like me and my crush and we we, we were like a secret agent it was like me and my friends Ooh, and my okay crush. we're all in like a little club and we were secret agents trying to solve mysteries at the school and I would write these I would use like comic sans type them all up on my computer um this must have been like i don't know 2007 or something or no no no, not 2007 jesus uh 2003 or four ish yeah and i would print it out and then i would staple it and bring it to class and i would insist that my teacher let everyone read it during the day and thinking back now it's so cringy like Imagine you come to class and some random girl has written fan fiction about you. It's like from Bob's Burgers. It's like um, Tina erotic, erotic friend fiction is basically what it was. (laughs) (laughs) So I do remember doing that from a very young age, um, but it wasn't until high school that I started writing about more serious topics. I actually got a C on a paper once because I wrote about how teachers are akin to Hitler can't say I necessarily still agree with that. <laughs> but at the time I had kind of a personal vendetta against the concept of like institutionalized education. You're telling me. I know. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Um, <laughs> uh, so over time I started to develop my voice a little bit and I've dabbled in like comedic writing or, you know, more serious types of personal essays, fiction writing And these days I've sort of graduated to these like serious personal essays with personality, if that makes sense. I I do tend to have a pretty dark sense of humor and I definitely integrate that into my writing because it's authentic and it's it's how I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And honestly, the fucked up shit that I went through as a kid is pretty funny to me these days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how so? You know it because it's kind of absurd at a certain level. Um, it, it's sort of ridiculous. Like, I had when I was in um junior high, at like I don't know, sixth grade or something like, I was an 11 or 12 year old child. I had to call the police on one of my friends because she was threatening to kill herself, and I was like 11. Um, that's a pretty adult issue to deal with feeling like you having a your best friend call you or text you and say I'm going to kill myself tonight and having to turn to my mom and be like uh what do we do um that that's a big deal and I look back now and I just Good Lord, what a burden to place upon me. And this came after we'd been writing Twilight fan fiction all day. So I just, sometimes I, when I watch Twilight, I'm like, oh, this was like the girl who threatened to kill herself when I was 11. Like, it's just, it's just the, the association to these things in my childhood is just completely absurd that I went through. And there are darker things, of course, like I wrote about this in my most recent essay, Um, It was about growing up with uh, a a dad who um, had mental illnesses of his own and what that was like for me. And I wrote about how when I was 14, I went into uh, and I don't know if I should do like a content warning, but I'm about to talk about I already talked about suicide. So if you're still here, (laughs) watch out um trigger warning i went into the yeah thank you i went into the garage and started looking for a hose to hook up to my parents car so i could sit in it and suffocate via carbon monoxide poisoning i had fully intended to kill myself that night and i sat on the step that leads into our garage and i thought about it and The only reason I turned back was because I really wanted to go to prom. (laughs) I had like planned out prom in my head. I had all these dresses picked out. I was excited at the time. I was sort of dating this like 17 year old creep who ended up just being the worst person in the entire world. And I hope bad things happen to him. Um, But I was like, oh yeah, we're going to go to prom together. And I can't go to prom if I'm dead, which is true. And here I am, you know, 11 years later and i'm still alive um and i'm so is, thankful you're cool. here to tell the tale <laughs> Thank you. i am
1: i'm so i'm so thankful to have you in my life and yeah. you have so many talents yeah, and pretty great so many different sparks to who you are that that just truly bring out the best in people we've had conversations yeah. where you've brought out the best in me and Aww. that doesn't go unappreciated. That doesn't, you know, I, I care so deeply about you. Like it's.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that that t- that's a very long-winded way of answering your question, but that's kind of how I got started with writing.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for sharing, and you know, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and giving us a radically transparent glimpse into some of the things that you grew up with, and I'm so excited to see more things that you create over time. For someone listening to this episode right now, what is the best way to reach out to you?
2: It's just like Amanda Elise Friedlander at Gmail and we'll spell it out for you. I have an Instagram, but it's more of a personal Instagram. It's Amanda the Panda Bear. You can add me on Facebook if you want. I don't post all that often, but you can follow my writing on Medium and it's just my name, Amanda Friedlander. And actually, if if you don't mind, I didn't ask you for permission for this, so you can cut it if you want. But I just want to plug uh, an issue that's really important to me, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Um, I recently started volunteering with this organization called Compassion and Choices, which advocates for um, the inclusion of physician-assisted suicide across the country. Um, assisted suicide is kind of a controversial topic, but... Um, Compassion and Choices talks a lot about how people who are suffering, who have terminal illnesses, when their quality of life starts to decline to a point where living is more destructive to them and their families than passing away peacefully with dignity. um, That's what they try to promote. Everyone should have access to peace and compassion and dignity in their final days. So, Uh, I want to plug Compassion and Choices. You can write to your legislator if you're in a state that doesn't have assisted suicide laws yet. Um, You can also follow their social media and get involved in your communities. It's something that's a huge passion project for me. So I highly recommend reading into it and getting involved. What other soapbox topics do I want to plug before Chaz kicks me off? (laughs) um <laughs>
1: TikTok amanda no i'm kidding <laughs> I'm <laughs>
2: intersectional totally kidding. feminism is important what would you if say your feminism in, if your feminism oh. isn't intersectional then it's not feminism um abortion is a right
1: and um, you can still be a man and be a feminist you can be masculine correct. and be a feminist for those guys feminism listening
2: feminism promotes the uplifting of men too of of all genders not just women Yeah. Um, Oh, go to your shelter and foster animals so that they don't have to put them down because a bunch of assholes decided they don't want their pets anymore after the pandemic. So go foster something. Uh, Fuck turtles. I don't like turtles. What? I don't care. I'm terrified of turtles. I hate them. Aren't they an endangered species? Turtles? Maybe not. No.
1: (laughs) Everyone treats them like they're endangered.
2: Sea turtles. but little pet turtles are probably there's too many of them we don't need them in the world toss them off a cliff okay
1: but they're fucking cute you don't get to they're say disgusting. that
2: Disgusting. no turtles are disgusting they serve no purpose i will die on this hill first
1: of all they make an incredible soup second of all <laughs> just kidding
2: I just ruined your audience
1: <laughs> everyone just got so disgusted with me for the record i've never eaten turtle soup don't plan to um, but their
2: their shells make a perfect bowl, if you think about it.
1: Shut up. Um, Amanda, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone on this podcast.
2: Okay.
1: What will you be famous for?
2: I will be famous for being brave enough to tell stories that others are too afraid or too unmotivated to tell themselves and my dream right now um which isn't necessarily related to writing my dream is to get uh palliative care alternative palliative care options like psilocybin assisted suicide ketamine etc legalized in illinois that's my dream and that's why i'm going to law school so i would like to be famous for being able to use my skills as a writer to tell the adequate stories and tell them in a way that affects people and affects positive change across the board, not just with, you know, compassionate choices. Um, and that is what I would like to go down in history as also for being so damn cute.
1: (laughs) A hundred percent accurate. (laughs) Amanda Freelander, everyone. Thank you for being on the show. This was so insightful. Thank you
2: for having me and for finally giving in after I begged over and over again to
0: be on the show. Thank you for listening. This podcast releases bi-weekly on Fridays. To attend one of our networking events, visit the registration link in the show notes or go to www.mrthrive.com. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Email chaz at mrthrive.com. Thanks and we'll see you next time.